Right, that's enough with the promo, on with the podcast. Not tonight, you're not on the list. Hello, I'm Conor McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. From promoters to DJs, we take a look at what people have witnessed backstage, on stage, and everything in between. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, all right, thanks very much for checking us out. Can you do us two favors? Can you go onto whatever streaming platform you're listening on and hit that subscribe button? It means you won't miss out on future episodes and it gives us a boost. Also, if you rate this episode or if you've rated any of the other previous episodes, if you could do us a massive favor and give us a five-star review on Spotify, on Apple Music, that would mean the world as well. If you're feeling extra supportive, give the Rewind That Track Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or Facebook page a follow and all. We've got interviews with the likes of Pendulum, Chris Lorenzo, Skepsis, Max Chapman, and loads more on all of the channels. So if you're looking to see what goes on with your favorite artists backstage, check them out. Right, that's enough with the promo, on with the podcast. My guest this week is a director at one of the UK's most celebrated club and festival takeover brands. His work with the likes of Chase and Status and Stormzy has spread out into a music label, a clothing brand, open air festivals, over 120 shows across nine years. It's Nico Antonio Singh, director of Beast Wang. During this episode, we discuss what happens when headline acts don't turn up to your show, how Beast Wang received its name, and how many people you need to run an events company. My guest this week is a director at one of the UK's most celebrated club and festival takeover brands. He's had the likes of Chase and Status, Stormzy, Shy Effects and Dimension headline shows around the UK. He's spread out into a music label, a clothing brand, open air festivals, rooftop takeovers, over 120 shows across the last nine years. It's Nico Antonio Singh, director of B-Swang. Good evening, fella. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Nobody you say it like that. It feels like so much. Yeah. Um, and I actually just work from my box room at my mum's house. Keeping it humble. <laughs> keeping it humble. I mean, that's a lot of It shows how much you can do, I guess. It does. Like the little intro, the accolades there, like it's built up over the years, nine years of working hard, solid graft. Um, and it's, it means that you've got a lot of uh, feathers to your bow, a lot of things to your name where you can go, you know what, I've achieved that. I have had that. I've done that. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Like, it's always quite, I don't actually get to reflect till I'd probably say it gets to like 2, 3 a.m. when all the headline, main headliners are in. And that's when I can take a step back and breathe and be like, right. Let me soak this in now. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna touch on that later. So, so for people that that might not necessarily, they might not have been to a rave up north. Or, I mean, you've put on shows around the whole of the UK, but they might not necessarily go out into that style of music. How would you, uh, how would you describe Beast Wang, mate? From your, from so Beast Wang is a underground music club night. We predominantly focus on bass music, and that obviously branches out to garage. We touch on bits of house, a lot of drum and bass, dubstep. We don't pride ourselves on a specific genre. We What we try to do is create the night multi genre and keep a high energy party, house party vibe to the event where it's very, very inclusive. Um, but yeah, like it's very, I'd probably say it's a high energy night that makes you feel welcome. It's uh, rare, not rare, but like it's, it's unique to sort of have uh, events where you do have like, like you said, they're multi-genre. So you might have like a headliner, for, a drum and bass headliner, and then like the warm acts are sort of like a couple of baseline acts and stuff like that. How is yeah. that sort of like, is that something that you've just always been into musically and that's why you've sort of decided to go down that route with events or was there like another reasoning behind the multifaceted, multi-genre sort of bookings? I'd definitely say it's like probably down to my music taste, uh, but you need to kind of like 
put a little bit of a lid on that sometimes because you need to be able to book people that sell tickets. But the whole multi-genre thing, yeah, I'd probably say it definitely comes down to a lot to just enjoying lots of different styles of music. Yeah, I'd probably say it's pretty much down to my my music taste. Fair enough, mate. And um, it was sort of stemming from from that music taste and obviously that influencing the events that you've put on. What was sort of like, what's the earliest experience that you remember having with music? I mean, it goes way back when from when I was a kid, like you're talking like three years old. <laughs> like I remember like, if you know it, Chuck and Demas and the Players tease me. That was my anthem when I was a kid. <laughs> when you were three years old, that was your anthem, your go-to one. <laughs> that was one. my anthem when I was three, four, five years old. That was my anthem. Bopping around the living room to tease <laughs> yeah, me. So- when I was um, a baby or a toddler, whatever you want to call it, um, my two aunties who were like 16 at the time used to look after me quite a lot. And at that time in the nine, early 90s, like 90s dancehall was a big theme in the household. So I was quite heavily influenced that from a young age. And then going from that, from when I was like seven onwards, you're talking like 1997, a lot of R&B, soul and garage. Like that was a big influence. My oldest cousin, I used to go to a lot of garage raves in Leicester and he always used to wear this Avrats jacket and I used to ask it for him. I was like, when I'm older, you need to give me that jacket. Uh, so Avrats was like a big brand when Garage was about back in the day. And kind of going from then, it was a lot of like hip hop and R&B in my early teens. You talk like you just standard stuff like Usher and Mario, just your normal stuff like that. Garage has always played a big influence right from the start. Like me and my sister used to like sit by the stereo and record on tapes like Lisa Mafia, So Solid Crew, like all, all of them lot. And then a lot of more of the commercial stuff, not necessarily in the band. You're not going to know that stuff when you're that young anyway. Yeah, not and your then, Todd Edwards or your like early, yeah. early DJs, headsets, is yeah. And then when I got to like probably, you got to imagine like the underground music scene in Leicester, when I just got into it, like there wasn't a lot of it or I wasn't exposed to it from the area that I was from in my circles. So I used to go to a club called Mosh, which is like quite commercial in Leicester and they used to have a dance music floor. So that would be like when Skrillex was playing on the dance floor, like... Was this sort of like 2010-ish, 2011-ish? Two, yeah, yeah, probably, probably like... 2009 as well like okay. um your gold dust edit yeah <laughs> yeah, DJ like Fresh. yeah 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 <laughs> so that it, that kind of my first ever it's quite shocking to a lot of people but i didn't go to a raves when i was young like it wasn't i was going straight away when i was 18 it was just straight dance all in hip-hop and then it got quite quickly i went to this alternative club called mosh where it was like indie on one floor pop and cheese on one floor then your commercial dance music and then it wasn't until one of my friends in sheffield said yo come up for this night it's called hospitality you need to come to it and i had like shy effects on there so i was like all right cool like i know shy effects like i'll go to it and i remember the year it was 2012 january i've still got the flyer um saved in my phone and it was probably like Obviously, it was a night that changed my life. Like, it was something that I wanted to be a part of. The whole production, the whole aspect of being able to see an artist that you listen to, because I never went to gigs. It was just always club nights from the ages of 18 to 21. So when I got to experience going to see an artist that you listen to, it yeah, that kind of blew my mind, the whole production around it. So I just, like, in 2012, when I was 21, up until the summer, I was going to raves nonstop. Like, I was... Chef, so Sheffield and Nottingham was my place from Leicester. Like that's where I was going all the time because there wasn't really no raves 
in Leicester as such at that point. So where were you sort of going out in Sheffield? Was it Tank and stuff like that? No, was it wasn't it? Tank. That back then it was um, Plug. There was a little club called DLS, which was then called the Night Kitchen. Yeah, Plug, DLS, Tank, and just loads of random house parties. The house parties used to be mad in Sheffield. Um, they're quite big on their drum and bass. And yeah. yeah, so that's what I was into quite then. And that's kind of how I got into the rave scene. That year in 2012, I went to a festival called Outlook Festival, which is like a whole bunch of different sounds of bass music. you got your dub elements there, your dubstep. And that's how I got into deep dubstep then. And that kind of broadened my uh, range of music as such. And I'm quite open to different sounds of music. So I think I took to it quite well. And that year was when I decided to do B-Swang in October. So all those raves from January to end of August to Outlook, is what was kind of like my training as such. Do you know what? That's that's quite relatively a short amount of time when you think about it. Like January to August, then thinking, you know what? I'm going to put on an event. I've been enjoying these all this time. Like I've been going to... <laughs> we also touch on one thing that's just made me think of there. I think, because well, most people that will probably listen to this podcast have been to a an underground event or have been to some type of rave. But when you compare it to, like you said, they're going to commercial clubs, which are a lot of people's first sort of clubs. Mm. Like uh, if you, even if you live in a big city or if you're in sort of a small town, you might just have one sort of local club. It might not put on events with DJs, like massive acts and stuff like that. And uh, just like you said there, going to see your actual, an artist that you've been listening to. Like when you're in a commercial club and everyone's sort of together and whatever, nobody's looking necessarily at the DJ, like everyone's dancing together or facing. And the first time you do go to a rave and there's some people, because I've got friends that are just, just well uh, even because it, it's the same at gigs or same when you see bands if you don't go to see a gig or a band or an act and you've just been going out to a nightclub or a bar or anything like that the thought of literally facing and just turning and watching a dj like it's different to like obviously if a band's jumping around the stage and going giving it some like you might be actually watching them do something but when you actually think about it like literally everyone turning and facing and like looking at the DJs, yeah, yeah, yeah. a pretty, whole pretty bizarre, pretty bizarre thing. Because obviously, some of them, some DJs are quite sort of stationary and aren't necessarily like jumping around or doing too much. So when you think about it, it's like, what are we doing? Why are we all suddenly like we're just facing this way? Like, why aren't we turning and like dancing? And I do think that actually comes in with like a couple of like different uh, genres of like I feel like at disco events. Like, if you ever been to a disco event, like, everyone's dancing together and like not necessarily looking at the DJ. Whereas if yeah, it's exactly. like a drum and bass or a bass line or something like that, everyone is just eyes to the front watching it. Um, I don't know, that was, sorry, that just popped into my head and I felt like I just had to say it then because it just made, <laughs> yeah. me, it made me think about it. But going back to the point there, so January to August, you're going to all these raves, you're going to the events, you're going to Sheffield and stuff like that. And then number one, two things, B-Swang, where does the name come from? And then number so, two, what was the uh, what was the first event that you put on? <laughs> I got so much stick for it in that first year. So- <laughs> so it was originally meant to be called Beast Mob, believe it or not. Beast and Mob, M-O-B. Beast Mob, yeah. And um, I think at that time I was looking at popular culture and what was popular culture. And I think at that time in fashion, there was like a, a lots of use of imagery of animals in fashion. And that's where I got Beast from. And then I don't know where I got Mob from. I have no idea. And then there was an app called Catwang, which was like a photo editing app on iPhones <laughs> back in the day. And it was like pop art and you used to like drag like laser beams from cat's eyes. And oh, right, okay. Like stuff. early meme sort of culture where yeah, it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get you. I and get I was you. like, you know what? Like Beast Wang, I was like, should I just roll with that? And then you have to stick, you have to stick with it. That's, it, it is what it is. And um, I got a lot of stick for it in that first year. And I think when people hear of it for the first time, they think, what the hell is that? But then once you go to one and once you're involved in it, it's like, it's just natural. And it's like B-Swang is such a thing that's been around for a long time now. It is, it is what it is. 
yeah, like the word takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? When you, when yeah, you become definitely. so accustomed to it that it loses its sort of, like you said, the two separate words there and it just becomes the brand. And like, especially people that go to the events or people that live in Leicester and stuff like that, they'll just recognize it as, oh, that's an events thing type there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and my first event, so that year, so I was going to Reeves from like, obviously I still went to Reeves afterwards, but it was May that year where I decided that I wanted to do an event. So from May up until... Um, October it was October where I did my first one. Yeah, that, I remember it was just like a one pound guest list. I knew Leicester wasn't ready to book any acts because I used to see people try book acts on in the city um, that were really credible, really really good, but no one would really go to them. You get a handful of people. 30, Why do you think that people. is? Oh, say that again. Why do you think that was at the time? Like, what do you think it was that people weren't necessarily drawn to the big names? Is it there wasn't like much of an underground there wasn't sort of big scene? names necessarily? There were like decent sized names, but I, they wouldn't. They're not enough to fill a room, um, especially in Leicester. And I'd, it just comes down to the education of people in Leicester. Like at that time when dubstep was kind of big and deep dubstep and those kind of acts were getting booked or even drum and bass, there was just no one around the young age that were really interested in it. Like you're talking like if you're a 400 capacity room, loads of acts would get booked and 40 people would turn up and that's all you'd get. Now there was one underground club in Leicester called Softbeck, which was at a ground floor and a down and a basement and the basement was around a hundred capacity. So that was like kind of where everyone gravitated towards. But that was House and Techno every weekend, Friday, Saturday, House and Techno. So that was the only thing that people had until B-Song kind of came along. And I remember we shook up the scene a little bit and a lot of people like didn't really know who I was because I wasn't into, I wasn't, I didn't work in the industry. Like I was just a punter going to events and then all of a sudden this new thing pops up. And I remember like when I did the launch of the event, the promo video was so good. Like people were just, I know a lot of like other promoters in the city, a lot of commercial promoters didn't really know like what it meant or what it means and, and why people were interested in it, but what it, what it showed was there were people interested in experiencing an underground music night um, I was just able to bring them together and and create a brand that people wanted to attach themselves to as such so how did that first event go then like that first one like it must have went well for obviously to you could either to have the have the hunger to do a second one and obviously as we said nine years later continuing to do it it yeah, must have so went all right or was there anything that first that sort one of was on? actually where people was just dancing towards each other it felt like a, ho- a house party pretty much and while it was successful, I remember feeling like I do not want this. The vibe, this isn't the vibe or the experience or the atmosphere that yeah. um, I see when I go to Sheffield and Nottingham. This is just all my mates in a room and their friends. And I managed to get like 150 people, give or take. That's so, good for first event. Yeah, especially like, if it's doing like quid entry and stuff like that. That's uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, like, and then I think after that, I was kind of working on it to kind of like make the DJ more of a focus and pretty much after the like i think it was by the third event we moved venue and naturally it just became that anyway and we just built that over a time and it wasn't it wasn't always big like i probably say like for it's probably took me four or five years from the point of where i was to make it quite a successful night as such um a lot of just being consistent over a period of time and um just working on making sure that you learn from your past event and you're only as good as your past event. It can require a lot of patience to see your brand grow into a household name. I spoke to Nico about how long it took him to reach a recognisable level in the industry. So when you're saying consistency there, are we talking like, so say you started it back then, 2012, and like you said, it takes four or five years for you to 
get to a point where you feel like, okay, this is a success now. Mm-hmm. How consistently were you putting on the events for that four or five years where you were like growing and growing and growing? Um, you're probably talking like, mate, at that time, it was it was always different, but you're probably talking like three or four four events between like October and December. Okay. So like one a month, basically then? Yeah, about one a month. About one yeah. a month. Maybe about 10, 10 over the year. There was a point where we was, we did. So that house and techno club, what I was talking about, it was at that point where they gave us the Friday and we started to put bass music in every Friday. That was when it really took off and the, the brand was quite solid and I learned quite a lot. And you've got to imagine like in Leicester, there was there was no, I was, I don't want to say competition because I believe one of the reasons why Leicester, obviously I, I, I believe Leicester Rang is one of the reasons why the underground music scene has been thriving here for a, a lot of the time. But I think another contributing factor is when I've had competitors in Leicester kind of like build something or people from out of town um, able to reach an audience that I haven't necessarily reached out to because then the scene grows bigger that way. Um, and I think for that whole period of the four or five years, there wasn't really anyone in Leicester till after a period of time and I only really seen the scene get bigger when there was more promoters doing similar things or do you know what I mean like just doing different things to what I was doing and I think that's what helps me grow to the O2 level as such where you're getting over a thousand people two thousand people do you think that they sort of started up those types of events because they saw the success of Beastwang in the area and they were like you know what we want a bit of this um, oh, 100%. And it's doing well so. 100% I think that's a, a reason why anyone goes to another city like I think I've been the main promoter here for such a long time I think other promoters that can do things on a national level they would see um Leicester and think oh there's only one promoter there ish um who's really doing it now at my level where I'm able to sell out the O2 there's quite a considerable amount of promoters trying to do the same thing as me in in Leicester now and it's you could probably argue it's a bit diluted now like it's not so much um a contributing factor to the underground music scene it's probably a bit more of a hindrance at this point now because everyone's trying to get the same headliners and everyone's trying to use the same venues and everyone's trying to get big, big numbers. So it's going to be interesting to see how things come back all after this. But yeah, like going back to your point, like I think people would see it a few years ago and be like, oh, like Nico is the only one doing this here. Then maybe we can have a piece of that pie. And that's just the way it promoting works. Mm. Um, it's just how it is. And so like, as you said there, some people um seeing yourself as as the main one in in Leicester what was it then that what what was the stage where you thought I am ready now to go across the UK because you've had shows in cities all across the UK now haven't you so what was the the moment where you realized actually you know what we've got lots of success here but sod it let's go try and take it to other cities and see how that pans out I think I've I've tried it we haven't done it loads in other cities but we have done a few here and there so um, our first kind of ones where we ventured out was in Lincoln which is like not too far from Leicester um, it was okay. Like they, it's quite small. Lincoln is, yeah, it's a quite small place. And then it's more recently where just before lockdown, where we started to do events in other cities. So just before lockdown, we did Leeds and London in the same week. I think it was, I think we had, um, Sammy Virgin Leeds on a Tuesday. And then we had a key push event in London on the Sunday. And that was amazing. It was amazing feeling to be able to like go to other cities and people recognize our music. And I think ever since we launched the label as well, it's helped quite a lot of people to wanting to see us. And it's interesting to see how other venues operate and what the scene is like in other cities, like going from Lincoln to Leeds, for example, like Leeds where the underground music scene is thriving and using venues where, 
they are centered around underground dance music. So when I go in there, everything's ready set up. Like the main thing that I need to sort about sort out is my ticket selling and, and capturing the content, making sure the artists are okay and making sure that the box office is okay. Now <coughs> in Leicester, sometimes it's not so much like that. There's a lot of work that we have to do. Like I've used venues before where it is literally a warehouse and it's like putting on a mini festival. Like you're all organizing all the operations and logistics from start to finish. Like sometimes we didn't, we didn't finish till seven in the morning and we're carrying fences out the venue on the front. And it's, it's quite a big contrast. And it's, um, as we go into coming out of lockdown, it's quite exciting being able to plan other events and other cities in small, intimate venues. And hopefully we thrive in these kind of places. And I believe we will. And I'm quite excited by, excited by it. So like where, you, where you're mentioning there that you've uh, you've set up stuff like in warehouses and where you've done bits and pieces like that. Have you have you know sort of what, what attracts you to do an event like that? Because if you've sort of got like Nani's experience and you know the venues that work in, in um, Leicester and you know some of the venues that are there, what makes you go, you know what, even though I'm comfortable and uh, we've got a good like, uh, I've got a good experience in some of these venues, I'm going to take on, a big massive empty warehouse that hasn't got well it was actually before it was actually before the big o2 shows that we did the warehouse so we was doing 450 capacity raves in leicester and there wasn't really there was a venue at the time that was doing 650 and then we was able to use the venue to go right up until over a thousand so i remember the first one we did was um it was quite exciting as well because no one had used a venue for a rave before and it had a license Um, oh sick yeah so it's the venue is like really really cool and we the first one that we booked was uh holy goof cause and effect skepsis back to back, to back with darcy and, and it was at a time where um skepsis all these acts skepsis darcy was like really really blowing like it was their first back to back a lot of people like came from all over the country to see it so um it was quite it was nice to be able to reach those kind of numbers and there was a part of me many years ago that I thought that was impossible for Leicester. Bearing yeah. in mind that people, I used to go to events and see 30, 40 people turn up. And now yeah. there's over a thousand people showing up for an event in Leicester. That's something that I haven't ever seen. So it was kind of like, okay, maybe it is possible to do big things here. And then we did quite a few warehouse shows for a couple of years. <clears throat> and then it was like, right, is this the time to book Chase and Status? <laughs> so it was... That's when we moved to the O2 because we needed a bigger venue. The O2 can hold over 2,000 people. And it was seven years of doing events. And it was always like, when I first started B-Swang, it was always the ultimate goal to fill the O2 with Chaser Status. Really? Yeah. Always. In Is that, that just... Get- is that just because you've like obviously listened to them for years and years and years and it was a big thing? Like, was was there anything that like made you made you want to specifically pick Chase and Status? I mean, I love them, so I'm not I'm not saying there's anything bad. Exactly that. It. Like, I love just, them. Like, when I was yeah. in 2012, like I seen them a few times. I have seen them at Download Festival. Incredible experience at Download Festival. Seeing them, I seen them in RB for seen them somewhere else as well. And I just yeah, you, everyone just loves Chase and Status, especially when you're young in that age. So. It was always kind of like, I always felt that was the act to fill that room for Beast Wang. And then I guess it was always quite interesting because we sold that event out. But after three or four, I'd probably say after three years of putting on events in Leicester, um, I tried to do the O2 and I flopped so hard. You just went for it too early. I did it too early. Too early. What was it? What was it? Just what? Just didn't sell enough tickets? Didn't sell enough tickets. I was so inexperienced, too eager. 
I was, I got into a lot of debt. I had to get a job afterwards. Like I was just oh, young. No. Yeah. I, was, I was just young and just like, yeah, maybe a bit too eager thinking, right, I can do the O2 now, main room, let's do it. Do you know what? It's actually really refreshing and really nice to hear somebody and to hear you say that, um, to be able to, because a lot of people will just, just big it up and be like, this is sick. This is the best thing I've done. This is great. This is all my experiences. And it's lovely to have the balance and have you there and go, even though I did do it and I did do the headline show and I got everyone in there and I sold it out and it was fantastic. I, well, at one point tried to peak too early and it sort of fell back in on me so what was it then so you were like right i've done three years of uh, events in in leicester i can do the o2 like it was I've got probably even a bit less than three years it was probably just yeah. a bit and um, what do you think it was was it was it just like not the right acts on the bill or was it just that there wasn't sort of you were just trying to there wasn't the scene like the really big like sort of base scene there yet in leicester? a combination of things like the scene wasn't ready for it in leicester um i probably bought the wrong size acts for the room um I thought just booking multiple acts would be the thing, but you need to book a big act for the size yeah. of the room. Um, that was like the, my big L and a, and a big lesson learned as such. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely like what you just said there in terms of it's not all amazing. Like it's great me saying all these things and it's all exciting in the way I'm saying it, but I've run a couple of other businesses and I have a bar that I've built a couple bars and I've I've dabbled in a lot of things like promoting is hands down the hardest thing. Yeah, and what I getting don't people, think people in give promoters enough credit because it's absolutely graft. Like the amount of right decisions that you have to make and the amount of pressure that's on you to get the event right, and everyone can see you visually your work. Yeah. Like if you've not sold enough tickets, and they know that you've not done a good job, and it's on you. If you're running regular events, not everything is going to go smoothly at every show. I spoke to Nico about some of the biggest issues he's faced. Can you give us an example or like a story or something like what's what what's gone wrong with for you when you've been promoting before? There was this uh, one event where something happened and I had to leave out the back door because I thought I was going to get lynched. Oh no! <laughs> Even my own friends were annoyed, but they what, understood what the situation. Happened? So what happened was. We booked an act and he was the only act of the night and it sold out way in advance, which was amazing. Wicked. We sold the event out, no tickets on the door. What, so he's doing like a six hour set or him or her and then residencies, uh, residents as well. Uh, he, he was an MC, he was a PA. Right, right. Um, loads of people wanted to see him and great because it was, the, this was actually probably one of the first shows where we got to 450 people. We're like, we sold out this venue and I hadn't heard back from the artist. Like he, I was texting him. I tried to text him. I tried to text um, the agent. No one was getting back to me. And it was like coming up towards the, his set. Now, normally when you're booking acts, like they'll just turn up. Like, yeah. you know, as long as they've got all the details, they'll just, some, some people just literally rock up about 10 minutes before their set. They might be just sitting around the corner, sitting in their hotel room. That gives um, me the fear, though. That sometimes some people they just don't communicate. Like the managers or that, mate, that gives me the fear. I'm not even in that position, but just it's hearing mad. about it. So this guy, what? You, like, I mean, when you're saying like you've been texting him, what sort of time scale? Well, I haven't, are you well, I've been before? texting him, but there's been no reply. Right. And how, so, how 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 close is this to the event? This was like this was before he was about to come on. Oh no! This is about an hour hours before it's come on. I'm like, nah, it's okay. Like, surely he's not going to not show up. Surely I'd hear something. It's a sold out event and it's getting to a set time and I'm starting to brick it and I'm thinking there's... You're not giving him a ring? Tried calling him. Right, okay. He's just airing the phone. Right, just airing the phone. Yeah. Um, and I 
didn't really know what to do. How, all I was thinking at the time, I was in the green room thinking there's 450 people out there absolutely buzzing to see this person, like absolutely ecstatic. Like there's people here that are not from my brand, so not your normal customers. So I'd probably say like 60, 60% of the crowd were my regulars and 40% mm. wasn't. So this is like a first beast way, basically. <laughs> for them, yeah, well, they've like, come here to see this artist. Yeah. So if this artist doesn't show up, they are not going to be happy people because they don't they don't understand that the consistency of my brand. Yeah. So um, it gets to a set time. I've tried to call his agent. His agent picks up the phone, and I tell him what's happened, and he puts the phone down on me. He's out. He's out somewhere. I don't know where oh. he is. He's out of the pub or something like that. Oh my god! I mean, that's just unprofessional as well. But like, I think I know who you run about as well. Just going back through your. Uh... <laughs> Well, going back through the the the, uh, the uh, branding and the accent and stuff like that. So, what was the uh, what was the uh, what's the uh, what's the fallout from it then? What happens next? And then, so I remember um, there was a DJ on that night, and he was like, he was on next, and he was like, "Do you want me to play his tunes?" And I was like, "No, please do not play his tunes." What do you mean? Play, play, play his album, do his album, just put his EP on, put his EP on. And um, I think it just come towards the end of the night, and my host for the night, like he explained the situation, has not showed up. Um, and customers at the box office were really starting to So this to is get- what I was going to ask. What is the next situation then? Are you offering refunds? Do you have to offer refunds? Like what is the, uh, like are people just going like walking out or like do you get the money back from the, because I'm assuming obviously you've paid the artist before. Yes, the I remember at that time is we, no one actually contacted me from the agency till the following for days. Like I had to, contact an assistant at the agency who knew me, explained the situation to him. And he went and took it upon himself and sorted it out. And then the artist ended up putting out um, a video, like explaining the situation. And that kind of like gave me a little bit of backing. I wrote out this really honest status the next day explaining like, look guys, like we had everything ready. His champagne was chilled in the green room, ready for him. Like he just didn't turn up and he didn't tell us like, we still don't know why he hasn't showed up. And there was a lot of people that paid money on the door. I think we had like, we didn't, we sold all our tickets, but I think we allowed some people in. And they wanted their money back, but they said, how do you know that they're the person? Like, how do you know that they... Yeah, yeah. That like, where, where's the, the line? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because if you do that, then everyone can just show up and say, oh, I paid on the door. Like, yeah. can you give me some money? Um, so I remember, like, it got a bit heated on the front door. Um, there were some really, really angry customers. The bouncers were not even able to deal with it. I had to leave out the back door and I went to my friend's house and yeah, that was it. I just kind of like rided the wave there, like super, super depressed thinking what the hell is going on. And I just had to wait. So I wrote that status. That status did save me. A lot of people that are connected to the brand and do come to the brand on a regular basis. They did stick up for the brand on the status for the people that wasn't regular. And then he put a video out maybe four or five days later Explaining. What was the what was the explanation? Just out of interest, I know you probably don't want to Ill. mention the artist, but he was he was Ill. Ill. He okay. caught something abroad. Okay. Um, and, and what sort of the uh, what's the what's the fallout from that? Like, have you ever had, tried or attempted or interacted with this with this person? But again, since no, then, I've never, never booked him again. Never uh, booked ne- him. What about ne- the management? 
Um, never, I don't even know if the agents still. I think don't even know if the agency still exists anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, I've never bothered to book <laughs> the artists. Okay. Again. It's a big artist as well. They're huge. They cost a lot of money. Um, yeah. But they, did you get? They refund it. Yeah, they did refund it. Yeah, they they, did all of it. it. Okay, cool. And then, sort of, what's the what I was going to say is so that's the worst sort of like event and experience you've had from that. What's the next event like after that? Like the the following event, the following Beastwang event after that one, where there's been a fallout and there, there's been a no show. Was it was it difficult to like get everyone through the door? Did you have to do any sort of like um, discounted tickets or like any sort of like thing to get people back like on side again? Or was it like no, your apology? I think when you have a brand where you are consistent and you get things right so many times, like that's what saved me. And if you are in events, like I definitely say it's so important to be consistent with your events and have your customers have faith in your brand um, every single time and to make sure that they're having a good experience because the time that it is out of your hands and you can't do nothing about it, um, that is what's going to save you. Um mm. Because there is certain situations where it's things are out of your control and you have to manage the issue as best you can. Talking about uh, talking about issues there, and I, I don't want to stay on a, on a negative. Uh, I don't want to stay on a negative question trend uh, for a while. But this is this is something that I want to chat to you about because there's people that go to raves. If you don't put on events, this is something you might be not be aware of. If you don't organise events, if you're not a manager or if you're not an artist, you not but might not be aware of this. On event flyers and on event lineups. Um, when they're announced, there are several different ways that these flyers can be sort of uh, categorized and like shown. And I've heard through the grapevine and from firsthand experience uh, from other people that I'm close with and stuff as well, that it is a nightmare sometimes with egos and it's a nightmare with artists and managers and labels wanting their acts at the top, not wanting to do this, wanting it to be alphabetical, not wanting it to be alphabetical. How much of an issue has this been for you before? <laughs> Um, well, it start, I started to understand the issue when I started to book multiple headliners in like 2015, 16, maybe. Um, and I remember like, I just didn't get it. Like, yeah. like, it was like, I remember there was, I had like a few acts on the lineup and this agent was like adamant that this person, this new person in the scene should be above this legend. And I didn't get it. And... I was like, and the, the arguments were kind of argue, like were coming at me and I didn't really know how to approach the situation. And I think what we try to do, um, I, I don't know how many promoters that you've had on this podcast. So I don't know whether I'm telling too much information out, but I try to accommodate as best I can for everybody. Yeah. That's the only way to get around it. So um, say, for example, that one where you went, um, I want this, my, an agent approaches you and I want this act higher than this person. And then you go to the person like that's the legend in the game and speak to their manager. And do you then say, oh, we've got this person that's really being a bit of a dick. Um, do you mind if he gets put below it? Or do you just automatically do that and just hope that that other person's agent doesn't sort of go, what are you doing here? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay, I'll deal with the one that's been an absolute bull ache and Pretty then much. hopefully there's no more fallout from it. And, yeah, and exactly stuff like that. that. There's always going to be, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's exactly that. There'll be some people that are just not bothered that will just be happy to play on yeah. the lineup and they're not fussed about where they are and they're confident in their ability that yeah. when they turn up to the show, they're going to absolutely kill their set. And I think that's the most important thing out of anything. It doesn't matter where you're on the bill. Like it matters how good your set is. Um, do, you, do you think this is agents and managers 
Or do you think this is artists that are doing that? Because I've spoke to a couple of people and... Uh, I don't know whether, I, if, whether I'm going to be letting too much information out. Um. There's, well, there's been... There's, well, the general consensus is, is that, uh, that artists are not particularly too bothered until an agent basically stirs the pot and goes, nah, we want you up bigger than that. And they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah actually, I do want to be up bigger than that. The thing is, you've got to understand that, like, there is... I've seen it in the scene where you could you could argue that having your name higher up on a bill makes you more of a headliner. Mm. Um, it's, but it's just sometimes it's kind of a bit forced where it's where it makes it difficult. Like sometimes it's warranted and granted, like if I'm, as I ask for a manager, I need to make sure that my artists are fitted correctly on the right bill, at the right billing. Um, but it's just when the agent or the manager is asking is asking for a bit too much that's yeah. when it can be a bit complicated or, or sometimes the lines are blurred sometimes there's two artists that are equally at the same level and equally just as big and it's who goes above who so and, would would the easy way to fix everything is to say that everything is alphabetical well that's what you see in a lot of lineups now yeah like, a lot more recently i have seen this to be honest something you see alphabetical and you just think there's been so many things that it's just going it's not worth the issue it's not worth the aggro right you're just going alphabetically then yeah then definitely i think there's definitely times where you do have to do that because let's say for example on a festival lineup it, you're not going to be able to dissect who's bigger above who because there's just so many names but you'll put them in sections of how big people are and then it'll go A to Z. Uh, it's probably a bit easier on smaller nights, granted. Um, I think it's, I think out of most of my nights, it's never been in al- alphabetical. Um, it might be between like local DJs sometimes. Like, it, it just all depends. Um, <laughs> it all depends on like how much aggro I'm going to get off after it, basically. Um, Have you... What's um what's something that you think people would be surprised about that don't run events or that don't put on shows? Like from your nine years of experience, what is something that you think, uh, this is actually something that is not very well known or it might surprise people? Probably like how much work goes into putting on events and how much like people see it's quite glamorous, like people want to be promoted, people like want to be the guy. But there's definitely like a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of stress dealing with the day-to-day tasks and the problems that you face day-to-day. Um, like having agents battle over who's top position on the lineup, like that can be quite great and sometimes because imagine when I just started to get into it and this seemed like a massive issue and I didn't really want to upset the agents because I've only just started to work with these agents that have all these big headliners and I don't want to annoy them because I want to keep on working with them. And that that's put, that puts a lot of stress and pressure on, on, a, on a person, on a young person, especially coming into it because I was, I was like, what, like maybe like 26 at the time. And um, I think especially like you have to grow up fast, like I, <laughs> like you have to really be able to handle high pressure situations because those those moments and those hurdles that you face can break you and i'd probably say like that's quite hard a lot of the time people like think that artists are quite cheap um and mm. they don't they were when like if they knew some of their amounts um that some artists 
charge like they're like what the hell like that person I do charges think, I think that would surprise people for a DJ set. do you know what I think that would surprise people especially if you come from a uh, if you come from a, a band background or if you come from like a, a musician sort of like uh, acoustic guitarist or like a, like I said a band there when I've had like a couple of the other guests on there like Josh Gunston from South Point and stuff like discussing prices per hour for the DJ versus like what a band would be like charged or like doing a UK tour how much a band is getting it's phenomenally different like thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds for a DJs yeah. for people that aren't aware. Just I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to name anyone's anyone's hey, name. A lot but of the like, time, like even though it's shocking for a lot of people, I think sometimes it's granted. You got to imagine like streaming doesn't pay a lot a lot of the time, mm. and sometimes a lot of um, a big proportion of what an artist earns could be from from shows. I think a lot of the time it's just got to be in proportion to what the artist brings to an event in that city. Now, the difficulty I have is I could get a fee for one artist and sometimes it's not just not economical for booking that artist in Leicester because they mm. don't draw enough to be able to even break break even at that fee. And that's what a lot of agents don't get. And it's quite frustrating. Some agents do, but some agents are like, nah, like you have to pay this fee or you ain't having them. And so, for example, that's sort of like saying, like, you've got a, a 400 capacity venue and you're trying to book an act and they're going, yeah, okay, it's uh, 10 grand for the act. Yeah. And then you've got to go, right, okay, well, I've got to literally sell a ticket for X amount plus door staff plus venue hire plus everything else just to break even there. And that's yeah. what you said. Then you've got to go, like, people will go, well, no, I'm not paying 10 grand because I've got to charge 30 quid or 40 quid a ticket to, like, make any type of profit. And it's then. all relative. Like, if that 10 grand artist is going to bring you a lot more people than a 400 capacity venue, then you shouldn't be using a 400 capacity venue. You should be using a, mm. big, a bigger venue. But if that if that artist is only going to bring enough numbers to just fill that venue, then they shouldn't be charging 10K. You ever said no? Like, have you ever inquired about someone and they've gone a ridiculous amount of money and you've been like, nah, you're right, mate. Yeah, well, loads of times. Loads of times. Yeah. I yeah. think you, one of the um, difficult things is having the ability to say no um, in this game because as a person who loves underground music, sometimes you have to put that aside. Like you're putting on these big shows where there's a lot of money involved and you have to make a decision whether that artist is, a, is the right booking for that show and whether they're going to sell tickets. And if that person is too much, then unfortunately they might be your favorite artist. Yeah. And you might be set on booking that artist, but you've, you've got to like be like, you've got to be realistic and be like, well, what are they bringing to the event? Are they overpriced? What is the value? And that's it. Then you don't book them. Um, yeah. But what I'll see is like in Leicester, there's like a certain limit of artists that I can book. And anyone that's probably super credible, I'd probably look at booking in a different city where there's a lot more people, where it's a lot more diverse in terms of how many people actually really delve into underground music on a deeper level. Just like you said there, probably bringing it right up to speed with the uh, announcement fresh off the presses this evening with your London show, Leeds show and Manchester show. So the sort of the bigger, yeah. the, uh, the the bigger cities there was sort of brought this around. I think it was the case. We started to do Leeds just before lockdown. We did the Keepers show just before lockdown. And I liked the look of the small club hidden in Manchester and a lot of people are loving the label at the moment and we've been working a lot of that in lockdown. So it was kind of the case. Well, we know how to put on shows. Do we start branching out and seeing how it is in other cities? Like, will our model work? Will we find it easier to put on shows? Um, so it's just, yeah, 
like that's how it kind of came about and we only went to <laughs> we, we went to london this week to see um a couple of venues and we kind of pretty much decided straight away we've seen this venue and i don't think many people have used it yet i think key push used it recently um it's called workhouse and i think disclosure was going to do a small club show there um but it got postponed because of lockdown and it is incredible. Like it's where is it in uh, where in London, mate? Um, I don't know London very well, but I know it's in Shoreditch where it's popping. Um, okay. I remember pulling up there thinking, oh, it's, it's decent round here. Um, yeah. It's near a venue called 93 Feet East, I think. Yeah. Um, it's literally just across the road. And yeah, it's an incredible venue. I walked in straight away and I just tried to play it cool. But yeah, like I'm super, super eager to get stuck in there and do more events because it just reminded me of like a mini warehouse in Leicester where it's super low ceiling. It's like really raw bricks, steel girders. But then it had like, you can tell it was set up um, in like, in terms of their production, we understood that it was on point and it wasn't really makeshift. And even though it had that raw appeal, it was still still ran like um, a top tier venue um, that we could work with. So we're really quite excited to work to work there, to be honest. Um, it's not till December, but yeah. Also as well, the reason why we're excited to go to London is because over the nine years, all the students that are from London, like they'll come to the events um, the amount of messages that we get saying, oh, can you do a B-Swang London? Can you get a B-Swang London? Like, this is their time to be able to get to experience some of that now and really connect with us. And obviously, we was a big part of their uni experience. So um, it's going to be great to be able to give that back and see their faces again. And um, with all the new faces that enjoy the label as well. And yeah, it's kind of, I'm ready to show London what our vibe and energy is about at Beastwang. That's fantastic, mate. Um, that yeah, that's three sick events going on there. One thing that I was going to ask just about those three events, for example, like you said, you've got you've got three different venues there, three different locations, three different cities. When it comes to booking acts, I'm not going to ask you to disclose the uh, the lineup or anything like that yet. But like, do you ever run into, for example, like you're you're you've got the venue, you've got the date down there in London, and you go, oh, I want to book this headline, I want to book that headline, or I want to book this act, and you're like, oh. like who is it that would say? well, you can't really book that because they're playing there the month before or like they're playing <laughs> yeah. there the week before. Like, do you ever run into that where you're like, we really want this? And you're like, oh, fuck, they've played in Manchester like yeah, last I month. So. I think we're going to get it a lot more now when we get to other cities because you've got to imagine if I've been the main promoter in Leicester for such a long yeah, time, you've got, I'm not going to get your that. Pick. The only thing I'm going to get is, oh, they're not available on this date because they're playing in another city and not that they're playing in the same city a month before. So, you, I mean, I'm getting it now. Now there's more promoters in Leicester, but... I think what I'm trying to do is build up the B-Swang brand so people come for B-Swang. And that's exactly what people do in Leicester. They come for B-Swang. They need to turn in what we call a B-Swanger, um, which is just a, a, a raver that comes to our event that connects with us um, as a brand. So that would kind of be our intention when we go to these other cities. Can we turn these first three, 400 people who turn up to the show into B-Swangers because they're, then they're going to come to the next show and the next show and the next show. So, And there'll be times that we really believe in an artist or really believe in wanting to put, push more females on the lineup or push more South Asians on the lineup. But we can do that because people have already bought tickets because they're into the B-Swang brand. And that's when I can, um, yeah, really showcase um, different and diverse lineups.
So you mentioned there about sort of like the uh, the, the lineups. I'm going to be absolutely honest with you here. I've uh, unfortunately I've never been to a, a Beast Wang event, so I can't <laughs> say like that. I've, I've experienced it. Where are you from? Totally I don't even and- know. <laughs> so originally just uh just outside colchester in essex but i'm um, living in manchester I'm, I'm living in manchester at the moment mate so, so you're gonna come to the manchester manchester show the hidden one mate yeah the hidden the hi- uh, hidden is like a, a 15 minute uh walk from from my flat so it's, it's not too far from if you're not there, I'm gonna have you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so guest list is that a guest list offering that you are uh... 100 yeah, i'll stick you on the guest list there we go see yeah i'd definitely be there then. no i would have been there anyway because uh like i said i've seen it a lot and i recognize the name and i do recognize the brand and i've seen the events but i've just not been in the, the I've just not been I've never been to Leicester number one awesome. and I've just not been at the uh, the other show like the other areas when you've been at the other shows mate running a label and a brand isn't one size fits all I spoke to Nico about how many people it takes to run his events one thing I was just going to touch on there because you uh, you mentioned your team and I haven't actually really asked anyone on this on the podcast yet as you've been going for like nine years and you've put on like multiple shows over 120 shows now and stuff like that how many people are in the Beast Wang team? Like how many people does it take to be part of the like the label, the shows, the booking, like running the whole sort of event? Like it's quite different. So like on my um kind of like internal business admin team is what you call it, there's myself, um, a guy called PJ who goes under the artist name is Yumna Black, and we've just taken a new, a new person on board. So I'd probably say like around three, four of the core team, and then we'll have a bigger team at the events, look after like um, the artists and various different factors. And like that depends on the venue and what the venue does. It could extend quite further depending on if the venue sorts like the sound or the lighting as such. But then like our core kind of team of DJs, there's probably about six of us. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when you hear about a music label or hear about an events company, they might not realise, they might just, yeah, they might not have any any guess or any sort of accurate idea about how many people it takes to go into there. And obviously, like you said, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all and, and depending on the venue or depending on the event, uh, the team is going to swap and change in size. But uh, that's, that's really interesting to know that it's around like four or five of your core team, like six or seven or eight of you, like DJ sort of like the, um, the residents there type there. Yeah, I'd definitely like, say oh, like you could run an event like on two people as such up to a certain size and it's just how you how well you manage the people that you work with it just so happens like i have a business partner and we pretty much run all the events as it is right now so yeah like the team is growing and i think uh covid has had a huge impact on our growth um we was at the best possible position we've ever been in before covid and COVID did not do us any favours at all. Um, and there's definitely times where, there was even times over COVID where I was thinking about stopping Beast Wang. Like, that's how, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't said that to anyone yet. Um, no, so, is this because finances or is this just bit like mental health or is this because both, it was just like... Both. Yeah. Like, imagine like I was in the best possible position. Like I was um, able to live in a nice house so i live in a very white working class council estate and um i've had i've been homeless quite a few times if you listen to my podcast i explained it in the first one so being able to have loads of nice things and have the graph that you put into the events pay off and have that taken away i didn't really understand it like i didn't covid came so quick that it was, I didn't really know how to handle it because the money just stopped straight away and it was quite difficult to ride it out as such. And it just kept on going, COVID just kept on going. Like, and I didn't think it would last as long as it did, but it's definitely 
helped me understand how resilient you have to be to certain situations. And there's going to be other situations, even in the future, that I've got to um, just being able to tackle them. And it's not always going to go. There's going to be things that pop up that can be quite detrimental to your company and your brand. And you've got to have the resilience to be able to um, just keep on going, really. The only thing that would stop me from not putting on B-Swang events like in Leicester, if the underground music, if you're if you're part of the underground music scene and you don't have something to go to, like that for me is the killer. Like I would hate for that to happen to people in Leicester because that's how you meet your friends at uni. And that's Beast Ram brings so many different people together in Leicester because there isn't an underground music outlet. Um I would hate for for Beast Ram not to be there for that reason, I guess that's what probably keeps me going a little bit. Like, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm doing a service and I have to do that. Like I'm kind of stuck in it. And because I wouldn't ever want that not to happen. That's a, that's very noble of you to, uh, to say, mate, having to accommodate, like you said, accommodating friendships, being the platform and being the host and being the uh, home for new friendships. And like you do say at uni and uh, even when you're younger and even when you're older towards life, you, the amount of people that you will meet at a rave or a dance or a show and we'll, uh, we'll end up going to other events with might be long life friends with might be partners, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. 100%. It's a, it's a, it's definitely a platform for it, mate. So it's uh it's fantastic to know that you, that you are keeping on doing it and uh, that you are managing to, uh, to push through and that we are touch wood now, fingers crossed with a hope and a prayer out slightly the other side, being able to put on events, being able to put on shows. One final thing to finish on, on a positive beat, on an up note beat, um, <laughs> as we're out the other side now, what is the next show for Beast Wang? What is the next one that the you want to give a promotion and a plug to? So I've got like, um, I've just announced a outdoor show on the 21st of August. The open air one. The open air one. That's in Leicester. Um, I've just found this long corridor. And if you've ever been to Outlook Festival, they had a stage called The Moat. And The Moat is exactly what it is. It's a long stage with stacks of speakers all the way down. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put stacks of speakers all the way this down this long alleyway. It can fit over 500 people. And we're just going to have it out to a bunch of garage, a bunch of jungle. And yeah, the lineup's announced tomorrow as well. And then after that is our big nine years of B-Swang. That's like Andy C, K9, Clips, uh, DJ Cali, Dusky. <laughs> the lineup's just stacked. Like, that's mad. That's a very, that's also massive variety. Like that's massive variety, but massive. Not like oh, we've got a couple of like sort of smallish acts from a couple of different. That's like headline acts across major, major different like genres. Yeah, yeah. like it's that's a. It's probably it's definitely hands down our biggest drummer bass lineup. Um, but I'm quite excited to see clips. Like I'm not seeing. Oh, mate! Like so DJ yeah. Clips for me is back in the day. Did the best jump up drum and bass. Obviously, then transitioned and moved into Red Light. Did absolute great bits in Red Light. Like basically mixed UK funky and bass and and bass line and everything all together. And then reverted back to Clips, mate. Like they, he did a mini. Like, sorry, I'm getting well excited about that now. But <laughs> like, he did a mini mix for Anywhere back in the day on Radio One, and he's done like loads of shows. And he's he's yeah, he's jump up tunes. And um, everything on like Audio Zoo and everything like that was uh, was fantastic, mate. So very, very solid booking there. Very solid booking for the event. Just saw this, this Leeds, Manchester and uh, London shows. And then hopefully that will tie up the year. And then hopefully for next year, it's our 10 years of B-Swang. So I need to come come with something special. Something it's going to be a big thing to top, mate. Yeah, it's going to be a big I thing to top with that lineup. I don't really no know pressure. how to top it. Or maybe it doesn't have to be topped by a lineup. 
I need to think about what we want for our 10 years of Eastwang and what it means for the next 10 years of Eastwang and what we're trying to achieve with the brand. What about a uh, what about a headliner from every birthday show that you've had over the 10 years? Potentially that started by show. You know we've only been bigger over the past few years so no 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 go all the way back to the first birthday second birthday third birthday i want the headline the headline act from every show um, cool. it might be expensive do you know what it might be well expensive i don't know who you've had across the years but for nine years and getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, well, you might like, be. we're doing o2 shows at the moment like i think our only natural progression is to do some big day festivals um so we i think we're fully definitely capable of um achieving that over the coming years like me and my team we have the experience so it seems like that would be the only natural progression um how that looks yet i'm not too sure there's a lot of planning that goes into it but yeah like yeah the next thing is 10 years of beast one next year so we'll have to see how the brand develops i've told you once I've told you twice you know what i'm in this all right all right